Um, did anybody happen to see that uh, Joe Biden is, uh, he's blaming communists for what's going on? Uh, no, that's what you call the, isn't that what my dad used to say, calling the kettle black? I mean, it's amazing. This guy, the chutzpah of these people, it is just stunning. Everybody's probably going, yeah, those communists are dirty. You're the communists. You are the ones that are doing it. What are you talking about? It's just simply stunningly amazing. But it does show you the great need that, uh, that people need for the Lord to be working in their hearts that they might rightly um, understand the truth and, and see the truth. And that's uh, really where we're at in our, in our nation for sure. So let's turn together this evening to the words of God in Revelation chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 8, 9, and 10 this evening. And uh, <clears throat> we will, Lord willing, try to, to make our way through these. Howard's going to enjoy it, I'm sure, with my, uh, with my tribulation view this evening. So let's, uh, let's read together Revelation chapter 13. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. These are the words of God. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What a glorious title of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in that verse. Verse number 9, if any man have an ear, let him hear. And uh, we're going to look at how important that one little verse is there. Then verse number 10, he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, uh, brethren, as we, as we get together this evening and uh, gather together again concerning this most glorious, what I say glorious, portion of the book of Revelation, again, we've been just seeing and understanding God as he is bringing and working all things out according to his good purposes. Bringing all things to his good ends, and that's uh, ultimately in the end. Just like I was told you guys in that book I'm reading, the pastor, just we all have to just relegate ourselves to understand that it is God himself who is working all of these things out for his glory and for his good and for his ends. And uh, so all the things that we're experiencing, even in our own country and the countries as we're praying tonight, all of these things, and I know it's a general thing, but it is comforting, isn't it, brethren, to know that there is a sovereign God who is working all of this out. It is truly an amazing thing to rest in that truth. And uh, I feel sorry for those who do not believe that God is indeed in control of even, as Spurgeon said, the very dust that dances on the floor in a grain bin or in an elevator. It's an amazing thing. It really is. And so tonight it is no different. In fact, we look at our text this evening and we, we notice what the Bible says there first in verse number 8. John writes, under the inspiration of God, that all who dwell upon the earth, John says, will worship the beast. But we take immediate notice, if you will. Our religious affections are drawn, if you will, there to God's limiting factor. Again, it's always God that's doing these things. And we take a look there. The Bible says specifically, whose names are not written in the book of life. That's the limiting factor, brethren, this evening. And it's really, again, a glorious thing when you... Consider God's limiting factor. The Bible says, whose names are not written in the book of life, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Again, so much theology, so much eternality going on here. The eternity of Christ, the eternality of the Son and the Father and the Son as they work these things together. In fact, John tells us again, look at Revelation chapter 17. He again denotes this limiting, if you will, factor of God himself 
not all are going to worship the beast, only whose names are not written in the book of life. And that's, again, the limiting factor. That's the glorious truth tonight, that God still has his elect, whose names have been inscribed in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And we're going to look at this eternal settling of, of God's redemption plan for his elect, even in this text this evening. Look at Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were what? Not written in the book of life. Now look what it says. Uh, From the foundation of the world, brethren. Again, that is a glorious statement that is made in Scripture concerning the eternality of God Himself, the eternality of the Son, and the eternality of the Holy Spirit of God, who is, again, working all of these things out. It is a glorious thing. The book of life, as we have looked at earlier, earlier on in, in Revelation, it's mentioned where we'll look tonight again. The book of life is the eternal registry, if you will, where God inscribes the names of his people who were chosen, brethren, before the foundation of the what? Of the world. Now again, there are names that have not been written in there from the foundation of the world. So you see both of God's glories, if you will, him working out his glorious salvation plan and his, all of the things that are going to bring to come to his glorious ends. You see both sides of that. There are names that have been written since the foundation. There are names whose who's have not been written in that book from the foundation of the world. Because the lamb slain, as I said, from the foundation of the world, is indeed a biblical title given to Christ. This is an important matter, brother. John just didn't put it in there for us not to understand this. It signifies, again, the fixed state of God's plan of redemption long before, brother, again, long before he ever created those who he will redeem. This is what the glorious truth is. And again, we see this as a biblical principle over and over and again. John is simply continuing that which has been taught through the pages of Scripture. The, again, the eternal plan of God, his redemption plan that is fixed and settled. In fact, let us just look at a couple of verses this evening concerning eternity. Look there, if you would, at Matthew chapter 25. Again, you can't, certainly can't address this without looking there in Matthew chapter 25. And there, again, are several portions of Scripture. But I want you to see this again. God's foreordained, his plan, if you will, for those whose names are written and those whose names are not written in the book of life. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Look here, if you would, again. Funny how this theology always gets in the way, doesn't it? It's just a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing to, to grasp on to the theology that Scripture certainly teaches. Look there, if you would, at verse number 31. Matthew 25, again, a very familiar portion of Scripture, but there's this glorious phrase that's right there. Speaking of eternity, look there, if you would, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations, and then he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. Look there, if you would, verse 33. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. So again, we see a dividing, brethren. Again, as we always say, brethren, listen, this is just a biblical reality. Sheep are always sheep. They're just lost sheep until they're found. Goats are always goats, and goats never become sheep. 
It's an amazing thing. In fact, we see here again this division that takes place between the sheep and the goats. This is the glorious judgment of God. But look what it says. Look what he says here in verse number 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, those are the sheep, amen, say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from when? From the foundation of the world. That's eternity, brethren. That's what that phrase means. There's a kingdom that has been prepared for the sheep of God from eternity past before you ever were even born or dreamt of. It's an amazing thing, brother. Again, we see, as I was talking to one brother last weekend, about the eternal, how God sees things from the 30,000-foot level. I mean, he sees eternity, past, present, and future. He sees it all. And I know, oh, people say, well, he knows you're going to be saved. Yeah, because he saves you. That's, that's, that is, that's omniscience, brother, and that's not foreknowledge. Like, people always get those things confused. That's omniscience. It's an amazing thing. God, of course he knew. But when you're living it out, Bev, I'd hate to put you on the spot this evening, but you remember how old you were when you were saved. You remember that, all right? She got saved at a certain time in history. She lived it out, but God's eternal. And from eternity past, Bev, from eternity on, you were a child of God. It's a stunning thing, all of us this evening. Your name was written in the book of life. In eternity, past, present, and future. It's an amazing, stunning thing. So here's this kingdom that's being given to the sheep that will have been, that's been prepared from eternity and eternity on. Look at John chapter 17. There's a kingdom that's been prepared. Look at here at John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. And again, this goes right on concerning the relationship the eternal relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. In other words, the eternal sonship of Christ. Look here, John chapter 17 in this high priestly prayer. You do realize, <clears throat> and I've said this before, but I'll just say it again, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost have lived in perfect harmony. They've had a perfect relationship. They have loved each other perfectly. They've existed perfectly without you and I. You understand that, right? I mean, this nonsense that God created us because he needed us. When you are perfect and you are existing as the Trinity of God per in perfect harmony with one another, you need nothing. You understand that. But this relationship, again, there's a kingdom that has been here before the foundation of the world, prepared for the sheep, whose names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world. And here again, look at this glorious relationship that the Lord Jesus reveals to you and I. This glorious, his eternal sonship, this glorious fellowship and love that they had for one another in eternity, brethren. Look at John chapter 17. Look at verse 17. Look what the Bible says there. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I, I love that. You want truth? Here's where you come for truth. As, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. We're talking tonight. Amen. As Dean prayed and as Vicky brought it up, people believing this stuff. What they need is the truth. They need to believe the truth. Not just something, but the truth. 
Verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. And we've, you know, I've talked about the unity here, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Amen? In them, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. What an amazing, stunning statement there, brethren. But look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me. Isn't that a glorious gift? The souls of men. Look what it says. For thou lovest me before what? The foundation of the world. There's that statement again. There it is, the eternal relationship that the Father and the Son have had and have existed for all of eternity. This is what John is saying. These names have not been written since the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life because it's an eternal thing. It doesn't change. In fact, not only that, again, just laying the foundation here for John's glorious statement. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, just a couple of them here this evening. We have a kingdom that's been prepared from the foundation of the world. We have the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit who have had a relationship from the foundation of the world. How about, Bev, I just brought up, I just talked about your salvation, it, it working itself out in real time. And each one of us, 1987 for me, the Lord saved me. It worked out in real earthly time. But the Father had written my name before I was even ever thought of, even born, even from the foundation of the world. Isn't that glorious, brethren? There is some security in that. There is some glorious security in what John is saying. And it's so important because as we look at what was taking place and what's happening to the brethren during the Great Tribulation, they need to know that there is security in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are secure eternally, forever, that their names have been written down. It's an amazing thing. Look there at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse number 3. Again, a very <clears throat> glorious portion of scripture these are just a couple of them these are just very foundational fundamental things you know he chose you and redeemed you before the foundation of the world do you understand that do we understand that theologically you have a kingdom that's been founded for you before the foundation of the world you have the son and the father and the holy ghost who are sealing you and saving you from the foundation of the world and now we see the father's work in all of that, look at Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. Again, that has to do with eternality. That is an eternal statement that is made in Scripture. The Father chose you before you were even thought of. It is a most glorious biblical truth. What's even more amazing, brethren, as you look at this, is that, the, the, again, I'm just laying this out here as the foundation for what John is saying to these brothers. This is why he had to say this. This is why he must needs say this to those who are in the thralls of the great tribulation. Think of that, brethren, how glorious that is. Look at one more thing that was ordained from the foundation of the world, and that is the very work of Christ himself. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Look here again, and then we'll, 
we'll move on. But I want you to see that this statement is found over and over again in Scripture, all having to do with eternal things, all having to do with foundational biblical truths for the people of God. Look there, if you would, at verse number 18. 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse number 18. Look what the Bible say, says. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was, what, foreordained before when? The foundation of the world. There it is again. Christ's work, brethren, that he accomplished in real time on the cross was ordained by God in eternity past. All of these things are unifying matters. These are, again, the things that we look at and we hear as we listen to these glorious terms that the Bible uses concerning this glorious title of Christ. The elect are doubly secure because it is God himself, brethren, who inscribes the names in the book of life, which is, as I said earlier, his eternal registry that belongs to the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, a title of, again, eternality. It is an amazing thing. In fact, look at Revelation chapter 3, the first time it's mentioned in Revelation. I want you to notice again this, and we looked at this, but just by way of reminder, look at this double negative <laughs> that John uses. There's a double negative here that, that, that absolutely seals our eternal destinations, if you will. Look there at Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse number 5. Look there what the Bible says. Listen to the double negative. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. There it is again. Remember we looked at the first time we looked at the book of life here. There is this double negative that is used here. It's an amazing thing, brother, and as you look at that, it's a statement that contains two negatives. Again, just by way of reminder, negative words that are used to affirm a positive. It's like saying never, positively not. So in other words, he is, again, looking and pointing our affections towards the book of life, and he's saying in that book of life, the Father has put that name in there. If you're in there tonight, if your name is written down, it's written down from the foundation of the world because everything that took place took place at the command of God himself before the foundation of the world. It is quite an amazing thing. In fact, we look back there at Revelation chapter 13, and again, look at verse number 9. So we, we see this glorious statement that John makes, whose names are not written in the book of life, slain from the foundation of the world. In verse 9, he says this, If any man have an ear, let him what? Let him hear. And again, John concludes this astounding vision that we've been looking at. It's really quite amazing. Of the beast from the sea with an exclamation that calls for one's spiritual understanding. Again, you brought that up tonight, Vic. We talk about people having spiritual discernment and spiritual understanding. John basically closes this portion of the text with a glorious call for one to have great spiritual understanding. He who has an ear, let him what? Let him hear. It's an amazing thing. It is a biblical call that is echoed 15 times, brethren, in the New Testament. And it derives its roots from the Old Testament. 
This is what's so interesting. Again, as we look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, many things that God is doing and dealing with them here in the book of Revelation is stuff that has long been gone on, even in the Old Testament. This is no different. It is divinely designed by God. Fifteen times in the New Testament, several times in the Old Testament, this statement is made. It is designed by God when he wants to emphasize a most crucial and indispensable biblical truth. Again, over and over and over again, we see this. I want you to see where the, if you will, those who are quoting this, Jesus himself, John himself, they're quoting it from Ezekiel. It's an amazing thing. And I want you to see both, if you will, in Ezekiel, the positive state and the contrary state. Again, not a double negative, but there's a positive state and a contrary state, if you will. In other words, a positive and a negative. Look here back at Ezekiel. I want you to see it. This is where this is drawn from. Again, from the Old Testament. Look at Ezekiel there, if you would. And this is a most interesting statement. Now, those in the New Testament, when they quote it, they don't quote the contrary state, not one time. It's pretty, pretty amazing when you consider that. There's a lot to that. We don't have time tonight. It's already 8.05 to go into that. But there is a glorious reason why in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't, John doesn't, those who quote it in the New Testament, they don't ever quote, if you will, the contrary state. But look at Ezekiel. He does. The Spirit of God leads him here to say these things. Look here, if you will, Ezekiel chapter 3. Look at verse number 24. And verse number 25, and Ezekiel in this portion of the text, of course, sees the glory of the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 24, When the Spirit entered into me, and set me upon my feet, and spake with me, and said unto me, Go, shut thyself within thine house. But thou, O son of man, behold, they shall uh, put bands upon thee, and shall bind thee with them, and thou shalt not go out among them. And I will make thy tongue cleave to the roof of thy mouth, that thou shalt be dumb, and shalt not say, and shalt not be unto them a reproof, for they are a rebellious house. Look at verse 27. But when I speak with thee, I will open thy mouth, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, He that heareth, let him what? Let him hear. There it is again. God is, is, is leading Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's going to preach some things like we know he did, those things that God bid him to say. But God is still saying, when you preach, I'm going to have you preach what I want you to preach, amen, and speak the words that I'm going to have you speak. I'm the one who is in control of those who will hear. I'm the one in control of that. That is a glorious work of God. But look what he says. Look at, if you will, he, so we have this positive state. He, let him hear, let him hear. Look at ver, the rest of the verse. And he that forbeareth, let him forbear, for they are a rebellious house. In other words, those who refuse, let them refuse. So again, we see God working on both, in both angles, if you will, of one's ability to hear his word. If they hear, let them hear. Otherwise, if they refuse, let them refuse. God, again, controlling that which one hears and when one does not hear. In fact, look at one more. Look at Luke chapter 8 again. This, again, that was the Old Testament. This is where they're drawing it from, the Old Testament there. But, again, I want you to see this in Luke chapter 8. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to every last one of us. This is one of many times where they are commanded to he who has ears, let him hear. If he has ears, let him hear. Look here, if you would, at Luke chapter 8, 
Look at verse number 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it spreads, uh, it spread, uh, lost my spot, and, and some fell upon the rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Obviously, we know what God's describing here, the Lord Jesus speaking of the heart. One's a shallow place, one's on top of a rock. Look at verse number seven. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Verse eight, and other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. Howard, what would the, uh, what would the, uh, the how should we say, the, NA, the NAR and the charismatics, what would they do with that particular verse? I'm sure that has something to do with money somewhat, somewhere, somehow. Meanwhile, the whole context is about the word of God and it accomplishing what it's going to do in the heart of somebody. But look what he says. Look what he says there, brethren, as we finish that up. And other fell, verse 8, on the ground, uh, on good ground, and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to what? Hear, let him hear. Again, this is the pattern that we see in Scripture. God is calling for us to have great discernment, to have spiritual understanding concerning what is going to happen, what has been said, what has been already said. It's the same thing here. We remember, brethren, again, and I'm sorry, Howard, but this is where my tribulation view is going to come out. We remember that in every one of the previous uh, uses of he that hath an ear, let him hear, in the book of Revelation is followed by a phrase. Does anybody remember, it's Wednesday night, does anybody remember what the end of the phrase is every single time Jesus says it in the book of Revelation? He who has an ear, let him hear what? What the Spirit saith unto what? The churches. Here, as we get into Revelation chapter 13 here, and again, sorry, Howard, this is my, my mid-trib coming out in me, but we notice that the phrase is not there. He doesn't use that particular phrase, and therefore I believe that, again, the church, praise God, from my view, is long gone by this time. By the time we get here, again, it's not a chronological thing. You remember that. This goes back and forth. But at this time, we're speaking about the great tribulation. And I still believe in my heart of hearts that the church, those who are believers, will not go through the great tribulation. Are they going to go through tribulation? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. John, remember how it started out? I'm with you, brother, in tribulation. But this is really the wrath of God being poured out, if you will, upon those who are upon the earth. All those whose names, if you will, are not written in the book of life. Each one of the seven times, and the reason he says it, obviously, seven times earlier on in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, is because he's writing to who? Who's he speaking to? The churches. Amen? That's who he's writing to. I believe the church at this point is long gone, uh, if you will, been raptured out. All right. It's uh, 8, 10. Let me see here. I, I think we can finish this up quickly. Look back at Revelation chapter 13. Look at verse number 10, and we'll bring this to a close. Revelation chapter 13, look at verse number 10. God's sovereignty in verse 8. God's sovereignty in what man hears in verse 9. And even here now, look what he does in verse number 10. 
He that leadeth in the captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. What a glorious statement that John closes with here in verse number 10. He, he, uh, he closes this thing. He closes really our introduction to the first beast with a proverb. That's what this is. This is what he's using here in verse number 10. Number 10. That contains, if you will, important biblical truths. <laughs> I mean, very important biblical truths. And we'll see this, brother. And again, this is something that brethren in the Old Testament... This is something that brethren who lived during the age of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is something that brethren now during the church age, this is a principle, again, that, that follows through the thread of Holy Scripture. This idea of submitting oneself to the will of God and not taking things into our own hands. And that's really what this proverb is all about. This proverb, the underlying principle, is that of retribution. God is telling them that they are to depend upon him, depend upon his providence, and not take matters into their own hands. In fact, didn't Jesus say this same thing? Look here, if you would, quickly, and we'll finish this up. Look at Matthew 26. Again, we were just there. Look here at Matthew chapter 26. Look there, if you would. This principle that has borne out all throughout the ages in fact, we, we, we talk about this a lot. The book of Hebrews is, of course, a glorious book that God has put in Holy Scripture. And we remember, don't we, the, the great faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And we remember the, the, the descriptions, how God describes the saints of old. Amen. They were sawn asunder. They refused for, to gain a better. All these things were taking place. And in all of that, the idea there... It was the idea, again, of submitting to the will of God during their dispensation of time. And it's the same for us today, and it'll be the same for the tribulation saints, those who are living during and, and born into and living throughout the great tribulation period of time. Look there at Matthew 26. Look here what Jesus says. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll finish this up. Because there is a basic principle that's at work here. Look at verse 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Remember that one? Old Peter pulls his sword out and slices off the old ear. Look what Jesus tells him. Look what he says to him here. Then Jesus said to him, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall what? Perish by the sword. So in other words, again, we see this biblical principle. He's saying, you submit. I must submit to the Father's will for his glory and for all that's going to be taking place. I will submit to that. The Spirit of God is telling us, brethren, in this text, for sure, that the elect must exercise great patience, steadfastness of soul and faith. Again, something that has been taught throughout every age within Holy Scripture. No different here. So the, the, the patience that John is speaking of here is not passiveness. And sometimes I think people confuse patience with passiveness. That's not what this is whatsoever. It is fidelity in the face of terrible pressure and persecution, brethren. We've been talking about this, haven't we? Even church history. I mean, Brother Dean, and we talk about it afterwards. Howard's talked about it. Many of us have talked about the persecution that has gone on. And in all of that, there is a fidelity that God calls men and women to within that, within this 
persecution and pressure. They are to operate by faith, not by retribution or retaliation. That is exactly what John is saying concerning them. Now listen, there's a practical point here, and we'll close with this. The way a person lives is the way they will die. You understand that, right? I mean, it's an amazing thing. An unrepentant unrepentant drug addict will die by his what? Drugs. How one lives is how one will die. No question. A mobster, an unrepentant mobster, I mean, as a general rule, if I'm in the mob, I like watching that kind of stuff. It's bizarro and how they operate. But one thing you see over and over and over again, the very thing that they're living is the very thing that they die by. A mobster will die by the mob. An unrepentant alcoholic will die by what? Alcohol. The very thing he's enslaved to is the thing that he will die by. And brethren, tonight as we close, an unrepentant, I had to look this up. There's too many letters anymore. We're getting so evil, there's too many letters. An LGBTQIA plus will die by their LGBTQIA plus. How one lives, one will die. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. That's just exactly the biblical truth and principle that John is saying. Even in the face of the great tribulation, and again, as I said, in every dispensation of time, God's people have always been told to submit to him, not to retaliate in such measures. And I tell you tonight, brethren, as we get to the end of the book of Revelation, that the beast and his cohorts will indeed die the way that they live. There is no question about that. Well, Lord willing, as I close here tonight, again, Lord willing, next week, we are going to be introduced to another beast. We have the beast who came up out of the sea. Next week, we're going to be introduced to the beast that comes up out of the earth. And there's a amazing, some amazing truths that will come out of that. When you have the beast The two beasts mingling together with the dragon, it is unmitigated hatred and misery and death like you've never seen. It's an amazing thing to behold. And yet, brethren, as we said earlier, God is still amongst all of that, still bringing to pass those things which he has ordained for each and every saint, everyone whose name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life and everyone whose name has not and written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we again thank you for your word this evening. We thank you for your glorious working. And Father, we thank you for the text that we've read tonight and taken a brief look at. So grateful for the words that you would have John to write that we as believers even in our dispensation, in our age in which we live, and we see the things going on around us, it's hard to fathom hundreds of thousands, maybe millions this winter, who will, because of evil men, freeze to death. It's hard to fathom that there will be many, as we talked earlier and prayed about already, Thousands and thousands and thousands because of the evilness of men 
and their father, the devil, they will indeed starve to death. And fathers, we prayed earlier, we pray for the saints there, those to whom you have called. We pray that they will submit to you as we must in the face of what's coming. Father, they will be faithful to the end. And Father, we pray for them earnestly this evening. Because we too, if you watch carefully, if you've been listening at all, I am convinced it isn't going to be long. And there's going to be a crash like we've never seen. You have many warning about it. A nation just cannot flaunt itself against God. He just simply scoffs. He laughs. He knows their end is coming and this is what's going to happen. An unrepentant nation will fall under the weight of its own wickedness. And Father, we pray as believers, as we are in the midst of it, that we too, like our brothers in Europe and our brothers in Africa, that we too may be found faithful. That we too, if our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, we will endure to the end. Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your peace upon our brothers and upon our own selves. Father, we ask now and pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen.